It's Saturday night in Knoxville, opening night of Tennessee's 1977 football season. Tennessee is wearing orange jerseys. Two orange stripes run down the outside length of the player's clean white pants. It's September the 10th, and it's another beautiful night on Rocky Top. The largest crowd in Tennessee football history creates a perfect setting to mark the debut of new head football coach Johnny Majors. A new era in Tennessee football. He's the reigning national coach of the year, and he's roaming our sideline in his first game, leading the team he was born to coach. An All-American player at Tennessee, twice National College Coach of the Year, Johnny Majors teaches pride and enthusiasm. Jimmy Streeter doesn't care about any of that. And the pressure is certainly on this young man. This is his first game, too. The kid is just 165 pounds, and he's been named Tennessee's starting quarterback. And it should be a very fine debut for this young man, Jimmy Streeter. As he steps into the huddle, he sees doubt in the 10 faces staring back at him. His first four possessions have produced not much. Here is Streeter. Looking for running room outside. Nailed at the 25 General Nealon used to say there were three things that could happen when you pass the football, and two of them are bad. Jimmy Streeter has proven as much. Streeter, long pass downfield is overthrown. He's thrown it three times, one drop, one interception, and just one catch for just 14 yards. Mark Streeter, back. Gives it off to the tailback pitch. But Jimmy pitch still has eight minutes and 32 seconds left in the first half. Still time to prove the coaches picked the right quarterback. It's first down and 10. Backed up all the way to the Tennessee 20-yard line. And it will be at that point for Tennessee first down. Jimmy Streeter takes the snap, drops back, way back. Just then, tight end John Murphy breaks open. Pass incomplete. Now it's second down and ten. Wide to the right side for the balls goes Sanderson. Tennessee Streeter against a four-man front. Running backs are split. Long count. Streeter keeps upfield. 25. Breaks there it is. 30. Turns on the gas. 35. There it is. 40. Streeter 45. In the box. There it is. And they go all the way. 45. 40. 45. 40. 25. 20. 15. 10. 5. Give him six. Touchdown, Tennessee! Yeah, he played. <laughs> what a run that was, John. From Silva, North Carolina, Jimmy Streeter goes 80 yards on a scrambling dash, and Tennessee leads California 6-3. It's the first touchdown, the first for Jimmy Streeter, the first for Tennessee's 1977 season, the first of the Johnny Majors era. On this night, no one could predict how that era might play out. How many wins? How many years? How many championships? But everyone, I mean everyone in Big Orange Country was thrilled. Back then, when Johnny came marching home. From VFL Films and the Vol Network, I'm Ben Bates. And I'm Barry Rice. And this is a host of volunteers. Welcome to the show. Barry, this is the perfect topic for today's episode because it takes a look at a pivotal year for Tennessee football, right. 1977. I know that is the year Johnny Majors returned to Knoxville to coach his alma mater. We've got tons of play-by-play from John Ward and Bill Anderson. Uh, let's be honest, uh, yeah. that's kind of the reason we decided to do this uh, podcast at all. That's why we're here. Just to get to listen to those games that haven't been heard probably since the year they were recorded. I know. I'm here for that. We may have an audience of just two, but we're going to love this stuff. That's exactly right. Uh, but listen, we'll also hear from Letterman, who played in 1977, and hopefully tell a story that the listeners love as much as we do. I think they will. I think so. Okay, Ben, before we jump back in time, and I'm talking about all the way back to 1977 when the Majors era began, can we provide like a little context and setting for this story? Absolutely. How about we start with 1970? Okay. Doug Dickey's left Tennessee to coach his alma mater at Florida. Mm -hmm. Athletic director Bob Woodruff has chosen Bill Battle to take over as Tennessee's head coach. He was a 28-year-old assistant on Dickey's staff. 
So I, I believe he was the youngest football coach in America at that time, too. But where was Johnny Majors at this exact moment? Well, Coach Majors was entering his third season as the head coach at Iowa State. He'd climbed all the way to the head coaching position, and he had definitely paid his dues. I believe he started out as a GA and maybe a full-time assistant at Tennessee and then moved on to Mississippi State and Arkansas all as an assistant. Yeah, so he was a young coach. I bet he would have been considered if he was maybe a little more experienced at that time. He was definitely a sentimental favorite amongst the fans, but you can't argue with the success of Bill Battle in his first three seasons. Okay, so in his first three seasons, we're talking about 1970, 1971, and 1972, Bill Battle went 31 and 5. Three, two, one. Tennessee has beaten Penn State in a great football game at Neyland Stadium. We'll be back to tell you more about So that's 11 wins, 10 wins, and 10 wins in his first three years. Now, the following three seasons, 1973, 1974, and 1975, Tennessee fell a bit to just eight wins, seven wins, and seven wins. Perhaps a bit of poetry because that's pretty much what Wallace and Roach faced all day. A swarming Alabama front four defense. That time as the final play counts down the clock, Wallace is thrown for a loss of 10. So he, in the game, lost 61 yards. That's his net. Back in 30 seconds, 30 seconds after telling you the final score, Alabama 30, Tennessee 7. Now, Ben, what was going on with Coach Majors and his career during those exact years? Well, all Johnny Majors was doing was turning Pittsburgh from a one-win doormat into a championship contender. And Tennessee fans, as you can imagine, were well aware of this. Uh, back in Knoxville, Larry Seavers, who was a senior on the 76 team, did not like what he was hearing from fans, and they were making life miserable for his head coach. Well, every year was a tough year after, uh, really, I guess it was 73 when uh, fans started getting on Coach Bowden. We couldn't do anything right. Uh, so we were pretty fed up with it all. It's, you know, he was just doomed. Bill Battle didn't like what he was hearing either. In 1972 and 1973, I got to thinking that I couldn't, I didn't think I could live to be a 65-year-old coach. That was before we were, that was before we started struggling. Uh, and I didn't see myself being a 65-year-old coach because the pace was too great and it was 18-month, uh, I mean 18-hour-a-day, uh, seven-day-a-week, a 10-month-a-year kind of a job. And uh, with a lot of the evolutionary things that happened in football, uh, NCAA rules and, and other things that, that maybe those caused or, or that uh, maybe society caused, Coaching got to be, a lot of the fun, to me, got taken out of coaching. Players like David Page understood the stakes. The wind blows harder at the top of the flagpole. Yeah. And he was the figurehead. Was he responsible for everything? Ultimately, that's where it was going to fall to. I think all of us saw this coming. It, it was no surprise to us. And certainly, I don't think it was a surprise to Coach Battle. All right, so I guess we can say the pressure was on. Yeah, 1976 was going to be a pivotal football season. Uh, fans were watching closely to see how favorite son Johnny Majors was doing in Pittsburgh and watching somewhat warily as Tennessee embarked on a make-or-break season. An all-time record crowd for a regular season college game in the South was on hand as the Vols opened their season at home against Duke. And Bill Battle opens the year with a loss to Duke. But missed extra points left the Vols losers 21-18. to 18. And then two weeks later, Tennessee dropped another game, this time a conference loss to Auburn. And the Tigers emerged with a 38-28 to 28 victory. Now, Barry, didn't you find a clip from the Daily Beacon that shows the kind of heat battle was dealing with? Yeah, I couldn't believe this doing the research. I mean, you're talking about UT's own campus newspaper, and they posted a spoof Help Wanted ad in the paper Gosh. after the Auburn loss, mm. and it read, quote, positions soon open for a football coach. Send win-loss record to General Neyland. Bill, what's his name, need not apply. Again, that was just three weeks into the 1976 season. And then before the Clemson game, at which point Tennessee was one and two, Bill Battle had a few things to say about how he was being treated, didn't he? Absolutely. That week he was quoted in the Sentinel. Here's what he said. Quote, 
I've been at Tennessee 10 years. A lot of good things have happened. Some very distasteful things have happened too. There've been moving vans sent to my house, for sale signs put in my yard, even an exterminator was sent to my house after the Duke game. But I'm too stubborn or ignorant to quit. I'm getting tired of it. Up until now, I've never reacted to the garbage dump thinking of some so-called Tennessee fans, end quote. And by the way, at that time, not only was favorite son Johnny Majors 3-0, he also impressively opened his season with a win at Notre Dame. Ronnie McCartney, Pat Ryan, and Larry Sievers sum up this time well. I called him up from Los Angeles and just, you know, was saying, gosh, coach, I'm sorry, and you know, I hate that for you. And, that, and he just said, Ronnie said, he goes, they may be running me out of town, but I'm going to make them think I'm leading a parade when I go. We weren't that good a football team in 76. We, we were okay, but our recruiting had slipped over the years. We didn't quite have the talent that they did early on, and I think that was the beginning of the end. It was just strange. It wasn't the, the, the town wasn't pulling together. The team wasn't really exactly together. Uh, nothing was pulling together. Everybody was looking over their shoulder. Guys make bad plays and get booed. And uh, it, it just wasn't, it wasn't a very fun year. It wasn't a very fun year at all. By the time Kentucky beat Tennessee at Neyland Stadium, the record was five and five. And Kentucky won its first victory over Tennessee in 12 years, seven to nothing. The Sentinel reported, quote, for the Vols, the gloom was heavy. All SEC guard Mickey Marvin wept openly. In the UT locker room under the East Stands, battle somber press conference was held against a backdrop of the Wildcat band outside playing my old Kentucky home. That was another strange. We lost uh, more different ways by fewer number of points in that year. It was like God was saying, you ain't supposed to be coaching, boy. With one game to go in the season, on Monday, November 22nd, 1976, at 2.30, Bill Battle's resignation was announced. There have been a lot of good things that have happened during my years at Tennessee as uh, an assistant coach and as a head coach. We've won a couple of Southeastern Conference championships. We've been to nine bowl games. We've had great association with people, players, opponents, fans, other coaches, and sports people in general. The battle era ended in 1976 after seven years as head coach. 59 wins, 22 losses, two ties, and record-setting players in almost every major category. At that time, I, I knew that uh, uh, that somebody else needed to rally the, the Tennessee people. The, the Tennessee people had gotten divided the last two years. It got very difficult to recruit because of, uh, uh, of all the, the mutiny in the stands and, and the, the conversations in the coffee shops and around the state about uh, well, we need a new coach and we need a new program and, and the, the normal things that that happen when you go six and five and uh, or when you don't win as many as you're accustomed to winning. Uh, and uh, so uh, I decided that at, at, after that game that it was uh, uh, that they, the, the Tennessee people needed to be rallied and that uh, that I couldn't rally them. And so I decided to resign after that game and and that's what I did. He was quoted in the Sentinel as saying, I spent the first three years telling everybody how happy I was at Tennessee and that I wasn't gonna go back to Alabama. I spent the last three years looking over my shoulder at John Majors. Speaking of John Majors, his Pitt Panthers were by then 10 and 0 and number one in the nation. On Friday, the night before Tennessee ended its season against Vanderbilt, Pitt defeated Penn State on national television. Johnny Majors accepted a Sugar Bowl bid matching his number one Pitt Panthers against the second-ranked Georgia Bulldogs. So Tennessee's 1976 season concluded in Nashville. And a dreary mist clouded the day at Dudley Field. A determined and devoted bunch of volunteer players sent Bill Battle out with a 13-10 victory over Vanderbilt. And the Vols held on to record a hard-fought 13-10 win over the Commodores as the battle era ended in Nashville. Bill Battle won 59 games at Tennessee in seven seasons. He lost only 22 and tied two. One week later, on December the 4th, 1976, the least surprising press conference was held inside Stokely Athletic Center. 
Thank you, Dr. Reese, Dr. Bowling, <clears throat> Bob Woodruff. I'm honored to be selected as the assistant athletic director and head football coach at the University of Tennessee. And uh, it's quite a thrill, but I only know one way to coach football and only one way to play it, and that's with pride and with enthusiasm. And I assure you, I don't have a lot of fancy quirks, a lot of fancy ideas quite likely, but I sure believe in fighting and uh, sure believe in enthusiasm, and I sure believe in the team. There's some deep roots here, as you know. And also that I know darn well you can win because you've had a good track record. I'm not coming in here with my eyes closed. I'm coming here with my eyes wide open, very realistic, knowing it's going to take time, it's going to take effort to play the football that I think that you people want to play. Now, Ben, I love this little archival clip. I do, too. That's the first time I'd ever heard it. Right. I mean, it's just been sitting there, you know, 40, 50 years, thanks to Ernie Robertson and John Ward, who felt like it was worth saving. And here we are experiencing it again. I'm going to post a little clip, uh, a visual clip, because right before the press conference started, a television light fell over and was caught just before it crashed into several heads of dignitaries and Bob Woodruff. And I love Bob Woodruff's reaction to this light falling. I'm going to post that on our website just so people can check it out. Just to recap, Johnny Majors was hired to coach Tennessee before he would coach in the national championship game for Pitt. Can you imagine that happening today? I can't imagine it at all. And the only thing I can think is maybe it was a secret that just wouldn't keep. You know, there was just no way to keep it quiet. And they thought, let's just, let's get it out. It was certainly a different era. So here Johnny Majors is, he's balancing two jobs. He's still the head coach of Pitt, but he's got one more game. He also has to be the head coach of the Tennessee Vols. I would say Coach Majors handled that pretty admirably. He defeated Georgia, and they won the national title. Now, coaches can work a lifetime to set up a program just like he did at Pitt. Here he is, 40 years later, looking back. To be frank with you, I had mixed emotions without questions. I'd have been a lot better off to stay where I was, what it turned out with the and with the only undefeated, untied team in the country. And we had great, great people coming back. We, had, we were losing some good players, but we had a great team. They, 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 won, they won big from that time on. And that was a hard decision to leave Pittsburgh. And I, I just, to me, in my own way, I couldn't turn it down. And, and here we won the national championship. I really would like to have had the job, between, just to be frank with you, when Bill Battle got it. But that was a hard decision. And I, I wanted to stay, and you wanted to go. It's an old song. I wanted to stay, and I wanted to go. I wanted to go, and I wanted to stay. So I wanted to do both. Yeah. But you couldn't have them both. And uh, Tennessee was a hard thing to turn down. Having played here and having two brothers play here, it's a hard thing to turn down. And it was a dead blame tough decision. Wow. Now, Ben, a key member of Coach Major's staff from day one was Bill Higdon. He was also on battle staff, and he remained the recruiting coordinator for Johnny Majors. And thankfully, we had an opportunity to talk to him recently. You know, I was a big fan. I, I had not been here long enough to get the uh, wow out of my system. Uh, you know, I was still uh, excited. I, and, and I was excited to the day I left, but uh, I, I was excited about being around Coach Majors, I'll tell you that. The two of us went recruiting together. And to see the way people treated him, and you know, I'd have to make, I'd make one phone call and say, we're gonna be in Jackson, Tennessee. You know, our plane's gonna land at six o'clock and we've got an appointment with uh, somebody at seven o'clock. Oh yeah, we'll be there, we'll be there, you know. And then it was dinner afterwards and, it, it was just incredible the way the fans turned out for him. So you were literally bringing a star from high school to high school. You could get in any door you wanted to get into. Pretty much, yeah, yeah. That first year, yeah, uh, yeah he, had, he had a great reputation. As if he wasn't busy enough, Johnny Majors accepts an offer to coach the East Squad in the 1977 Hula Bowl. 
It was there that he encountered two recent Tennessee graduates. One was Stanley Morgan, and the other was Larry Seavers. He got Stanley and I uh, several times, came and talked to us about Tennessee, about what's going on and things like that. Uh, for me personally, we had one pass play we were working on. Man, I was open every time. I was uh, you know, and he came and said something to me. He said, uh, what do you think? I said, man, this place great. It's wide open. The next practice, the guy from Pittsburgh was running that route. <laughs> guy named Jim Corbett, the tight end. So I got kind of PO'd, really, to be honest with you, with Coach Majors. But, but he did talk to Stanley and I a lot about, about UT and things. But uh, he, wasn't, he wasn't my coach, you know, and that's pretty obvious. <laughs> Winter workouts and spring practice gave the brand-new head coach plenty of opportunity to see what kind of team he inherited. Pat Ryan and Johnny Majors remember those days well. Winter workouts were hell. I mean, they were brutal. We, I was just trying to survive. I mean, this guy, was he was, he was balls to the wall, I'm telling you. John, what Johnny, he's the same today as he was then. I don't think the guy's ever changed. I was a very aggressive coach. I was a very demanding coach, but I had a good time on the practice field when we intercepted the pass. I was one of the biggest cheerleaders in the whole bunch. I'd run downfield by guys about as fast as those players could till I got to be about 40 years old. But, <laughs> yeah, interception, man, I'm, I'm running down there with my hat off, beating my hips, you know, like I'm riding a horse. Yeah. And I'm, oh, Oski, 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 wow, wow. That's, that's what we yelled when we intercepted the pass, Oski, Oski. We had probably 10 guys left from our recruiting class that yeah. we were all red shirt seniors and they wanted no part of us. I mean, you know, new guy, fifth year senior, you know, we don't, we don't need those guys. You know, they had to build from the ground up. So, uh, but there were a number of us who were stubborn enough to make him, make him shove us out of the way. <laughs> Pert Jenkins was one of the stubborn. Well, what, what it meant for me is that he was going to come. He thought we were soft, and, and he, he was going to come in. And, and basically, back then, you had a lot more scholarship players, too. So they could, they, the, the winter workout and the spring practice was extremely, extremely hard. And it was designed to find out who really wanted to be there and who didn't want to be. And that, that's how he was changing the culture. And uh, and they and we hit every day, went in pads every day, and uh, you know it was just man on man. You know they, he was going to find out who you know who who could play and who could. You know. And Coach Majors, he was Coach Majors was a hard man. He he coached his coaches as hard as he coached the players. He was a hard man to work for. No, he, he I mean he would he would get on the coaches right there in front of the player. You know he was that that was Johnny. You know that was. You know, he was that tough. You know, he was a small guy, and you know, that's the way he played. That's the way he was taught by his dad, and that's the way he coached. In fact, those first sessions have become legend. Majors kept us in the stadium. We practiced on Monday nights back then. Uh, he gave the staff all day Monday to prepare, put in a game plan, so we'd practice on Monday night. And uh, we were, weren't a good football team. Uh, we didn't anybody could tackle much. Uh, but he wouldn't let the team leave the field until every defensive player made a perfect tackle. We had no lights on the practice field at that time. We were down there, and it was pitch dark. It was an awful night down there. Uh, and, you know, a good tackle wasn't good enough. It had to be a perfect tackle. And Majors was right in the middle of it. And... It was an angry night, you know. It was people were just nobody was happy, and it was it was essentially one of those things they wanted to see, who wanted to be there, or who they could run off, or whatever. Yeah, about ran me off. My first experience, and I hadn't even I hadn't even gotten there yet. I'm a senior in high school, running at Tom Black uh, during the spring, and and uh, uh, so I came over and watched spring practice in in uh, Noonan. And Shaw got into a fight on the goal line, and Bobby Roper got in the middle of it, and they just had blown the whistle, and that's where I learned how, what Riverside meant. So we're on the opposite side of the river, horn blows, and they're fighting, and Roper's nose just is 
I mean, it's splattered blood everywhere, and he's he's sprinting a hundred yards. I love it. I love it. And they and they're hauling rivers now. Yeah, this car, Bobby Ray. He came. He came, he came with him, right? And I'm sitting there, as I, you know, I'm thinking, what the hell am I? What have I got myself into? I, you know, I'm ready to go. I'm not. I'm not sure I want this. You know. So that was my first experience. So what did you have to prove? What was the thing he was looking for? Toughness, uh, loyalty. What, what was the thing you had to prove to this new staff that you were going to be all right? Probably your athletic ability more than anything. And, and then your toughness come in there. Yeah, I think toughness got you there. It only got you so far. I mean, you still had to be able to play. Those were the voices of Clark Duncan, Eddie Powers, and Pat Ryan talking about the impression majors had on them. But those players made an impression on majors, too. The first year that I came to Tennessee, so many of those players, I could, I could name so many of them right now who really had great attitudes and were coachable and have been very loyal to me, and of course were loyal to the school and to loyal to Tennessee. That was a that was a wonderful young bunch of young men. They adjusted to my adjusting because it was a big change for me, mm -hmm. and I, it took it took some time for me to get accustomed to Tennessee. But I, I hit the road running. So it sounds like majors wanted to see who was tough, who was loyal, and who was good. And if you didn't meet a standard, he didn't want you on his team. Well, in fact, Ben, here's a quote from the Sentinel uh, from one of the departed. Uh, it was just at the start of the 77 fall campaign, and here's the quote. This wasn't a sudden decision. It started in the spring. I guess I lost whatever I had that made me want to play football. I guess I lost my desire. We'll be right back. Believe it or not. Your local Tennessee Ford dealer, 78 Pinto, has many added features at a price that is lower than last year. You now get a standard equipment, AM push-button radio, full wheel covers, power front disc brakes, rear window defroster, protective body side moldings, full tinted glass, and more. These new features make it the best equipped Pinto ever and at a lower price than last year. See your local Tennessee Ford dealer today for great buys on his Pintos or any of his other 78 cars, trucks, or vans. Coke and Slice got the taste and the feeling you like. Coke and Cola. A country band sure can make you kick your heels. Coke makes it right from the Tennessee hills to the Georgia Pine. It's Coca-Cola when you dance and ride. Coke and Slice, everybody wants a little light. Ben, I got to tell you, we found an amazing discovery in the Tennessee archive just after spring practice 1977. There was a celebrity roast of Johnny Majors. Now, eventually, we're going to do a whole show on this classic audio find. But for now, here's just a little bit about what Majors had to say about the upcoming football season. But frankly, I'm undefeated, untied in 1976 and 1977. I'd already made up my mind tonight to make an important announcement to quit while I was ahead. <laughs> we have work to do as far as our inter-squad game, and I don't like to be too, I don't really like to treat our team and your team lightly, don't get me wrong. Our players, we will try to learn to play with pride and enthusiasm. And I don't want to be overly sarcastic with them because there are going to be some young men on that field that I, lo I love and I will respect because they will earn my respect and our staff's respect. A lot of them right now have great mothers and fathers, some good high school coaches, but there aren't enough tough ones and mean ones out there right now, enough fast ones and strong ones. But the ones that will give a gut test and the ones that will play, play with a pride and play like a winner, I'll admire those guys. That's what we're trying to get done. But we're going to have some excitement around here. We're going to have some fun. Have some patience. The more than I got, and we're going to get the job done. Hail to Pitt and long live Tennessee. Thank you. The first game of the Johnny Majors era couldn't arrive soon enough. It was September 10th, 1977. We're going to play lots of John Ward now, and for us who knew him well, believe us, you can tell it in his voice, Ward was fired up too. First football season, and it's first under new coach, Johnny Majors. An overflow crowd, which probably will be the largest ever to see a football game on a college campus in the Southland, is here tonight as the volunteers of the University of Tennessee play host to the Golden Bears of the University of California. It is the first meeting of these two great schools. And ere the evening is over, 
a host of question marks on both sides of the ledger will be answered, perhaps. Tonight, it's Tennessee and California here. It has been raining. It is not raining now. It seems to be clearing up a bit in Knoxville. This is the sixth year for lights at the University of Tennessee. The Vols have won the night opener four of five times, losing last year to Duke 21 to 18. Working with us again this year as your analyst on these football broadcasts will be a former University of Tennessee football star and coach. He was a teammate of Tennessee's new head coach, Johnny Majors. And I can remember as a youngster in the second grade that Bill Anderson and Johnny Majors were my heroes in those years. Bill, what about Johnny Majors and his return to Tennessee? Well, John, I think everybody, of course, there's been tremendous excitement. I think it can have a definite influence on the fans. There's been uh, an awful lot of uh, talk about uh, what he's going to do, what he has done. He's had tremendous success, of course, at Pittsburgh. And people are expecting him to do the same here at Tennessee. And, uh, of course, you can't expect miracles. He's not a miracle worker by any means, but certainly a great coach and an inspir inspiring leader, I think. And uh, people are looking forward to what he can get done and very enthusiastic now behind the program. And now the pride of the Southland Band will form the team through which the volunteers will come racing onto the field. The Dr. J. Julian, Bill Anderson, is right at the door, the orange door, the tunnel. A little bit of showbiz as he and Coach Majors have collaborated here, I think, <laughs> on what will be a very emotional moment, not just for the 83,000 fans who are here, but I'm sure for the hundreds of thousands, indeed millions of all fans who listen, as here comes the big orange through the tee for the opening game of the 1977 campaign. He better get out of the way and get right over there, John. <laughs> They're really, really exciting. It was actually, according to Pert Jenkins, a perfect setting to welcome Johnny Majors home. You know, I meant, like, just to be able to run through the tee was just, you know, such an unbelievable honor for us. Yeah. And just the game atmosphere. Uh, you know, I can remember my senior year opening game, uh, we're, we're playing Cal. And I'm playing against the left tackle. He's probably 6'8", 265, 70 pounds. You know, and he comes up. I can remember him looking at me. And, we, you know, we turned him back into the, the two-yard line and we, we and uh, in the south end zone. And the noise, he'd never heard noise like that because, you know, out in, you know, he played against UCLA and them. And, I mean, it was just you could not hear – you couldn't hear anything. And I'm, you know – and I'm so jacked up, and I hit him. He never got out of his stance, you know. And I jacked him up, and uh, you know, because he couldn't hear, you know, and he wasn't used to that. Yeah. Where you know, we knew, you know, we we'd been, you know, we'd been to the Florida field and stuff where you couldn't take your helmets off on the sidelines because they're throwing liquor bottles and oranges at you, you know. It, you know, he'd been playing where out there we were there batting beach balls around and drinking Coors beer during the game. So it sets it again. A new era in Tennessee football. Johnny Majors, head football coach at the University of Tennessee. Tennessee Streeter against a four-man front. Running backs are split. Long count. Streeter keeps upfield. 25. Great. There it is. 30. Turns on the gas. 35. There it is. 40. Streeter 45. The Streeter 50. Cuts back. There it is. And they go all the way. 45. 40. 45. 40. 25. 20. 15. 10. 5. Give him six. Touchdown, Tennessee. Can he play? <laughs> What a run that was, John. He got some good luck, and he picked it up down the field, but he was broke that line of scrimmage. He broke a tackle there. He pulled away from one fella, and then the arch wave started picking him up, and it was home sailing all the way. From Silva, North Carolina, Jimmy Streeter goes 80 yards on a scrambling dash, and Tennessee leads California 6-3. to three. Now into the ball game for the balls. From Nashboro, Tennessee, comes Jimmy Gaylor to attempt the extra point. And holding will be Billy Arbo. The score is 6-3 with 8-11 to go in the first half. Waiting for the snap. There it is. High snap. Kick by Gaylor is in the air. The kick is good. They're five on the field with the score. Tennessee 7, California 3. The run by Streeter ranks 6th in length. Tying him with John Majors, who ran 80 yards against Mississippi State as a sophomore in 1954. Here's California, first and ten, trailing seven to three. Back to throw is young. Gets some pressure. Long pass. Anderson. Could be picked off. Is Barkley. 
Barksdale intercepts for Tennessee at the 33-yard line of the Volunteers. Streeter is the quarterback for the balls as Morgan comes wide to the left side or wide side of the field. Five-man front for California. Streeter coming back, faking, looking, pumping, running, 40. Streeter, 45. Streeter gets outside to the 50. Streeter to the 45. Streeter to the 40. Streeter running to the 30. He's shoved out of bounds as he gets down to the California 28-yard line by Ken McAllister. Streeter scrambling. And that time he diagonals west-east here at Neyland Stadium to move Tennessee down to the California 27-yard line. A brilliant run by Streeter. Now, he's got great speed. He looks so much like Holloway with his quickness, darting and uh, faking people, but I think he's got he has more speed than Holloway does, and when he gets in that secondary again, he's something else. He's uh, going to be a great football player. And so, California will go into the punting formation, and Tennessee, who are they going to drop back? This was a mystery also as to whom Tennessee would have back there, and it is a mystery no longer from Humboldt, Tennessee, a freshman, Junior Reed, who will be receiving the punt. Low snap from center, takes it on the first skip, hangs a high punt downfield. Reed is going to get yeah. the ball. And he never fair catched it. I don't it. think he asked for a fair catch. <laughs> he didn't. Reed, a uh, freshman, has courage, I guess, Bill. That's one thing you don't want to forget to do. You can get killed at that done. So Tennessee retains possession after Reed made the catch under pressure at the 25-yard line. And I believe just as Bill Anderson had perhaps surmised, the coaching staff immediately moves to the freshman and says, remember, you can hold your hand up. And Reed said, yes, sir, I remember that. Okay, here it is. Tennessee, which early in the first period had California backed up at this very same point, except that California was going north instead of south. Now California has it at the one and one half yard line going south trying to score. They come out with a split-back situation. Tennessee stacks it in the middle. They gave us the Hillman. He didn't make it. No, sir. He did not score. Tennessee's goal line defense has held, and it was Kurt Dickens of Elizabeth from Tennessee who makes the stop. Tennessee holds California at the one-yard line. Great goal line stand, Tom. That should give that defensive unit a little confidence now. That's beautiful. Now, Ben, here's the technical difficulties portion of the show. Apparently, the engineer in the Vol Network booth who was recording the broadcast switched to what would be like an onboard mic rather than the mixer input. So for a few moments, we hear the inside of the Vol Network booth, and that's how we hear the Kelsey Finch TD. Now, that's what passing game is supposed to be about. Five, four, three, two, one, go, Johnny. California. Leaves Tennessee 17 to 10. Lyon gives it to Finch. Turns it straight ahead. Travis gives him six on a Touchdown. And so California will take over first down and send to go at its own 40 yard line with 2.12 to go on the game, and many of the fans begin to file out of the stand. California 27, Tennessee 17. So it was a memorable night. But it wasn't a storybook night. A storybook night would have had Johnny Majors win on his first night coaching in Neyland Stadium. But Johnny Majors would have to wait one more week to get his first victory that would be against Boston College. A gorgeous evening. George Beatsis, the soloist on the national anthem, a member of the music faculty here at the University of Tennessee. And I don't know that anyone I've ever heard and sing that national anthem at a football game as well as George Beaches. Now the Pride of the Southland Band forms the giant T, which stretches all the way across the field east and west and from the 20s north and south. And the balls are massed, ready to race onto the field here at Zealand Stadium in Knoxville as right now the band, the team, the fans, the coaches join to form that magic moment but it's football time in Tennessee. Streeter goes back to the east, hands the ball off oh. to Finch. Finch gets the hole. Finch through to the 35, to the 30, to the 25, to the 20, to the 15, to the 10, to the 5. Give him six. Touchdown, Tennessee. The touchdown comes with 9.34 to go in the first canto of the contest. Kicking off Jimmy Gaylor from Nashville, Tennessee. Here he comes. Here's the boot. High, relatively deep. 
four yards deep in the end zone. He's going to haul it out. He's settled oh. to the goal line to the five. Bingo! He's banged at the 15-yard line. D. Revere from Greenville, Tennessee, was there to make the tackle. Tennessee's linebackers are Lionel Stewart, 6'1", 207, Junior Knoxville, Greg Jones, a senior from Bristol. The corners are Roland James and Thomas Rousey. The safeties, Val Barksdale and Russ Williams, actually the monster man. Ball on the west hash mark. They go with the slot set to the wide side. The give goes here. Who was that tracking through? Had to be the quick Noonan. <laughs> yes, nobody else. Noonan came bolting through, actually wrapped up the quarterback before he handed off, then slid off the quarterback as the handoff was made to the tailback Curry and rolls him down for a loss of three yards. So Boston College, threatening all evening long, now has it fourth and 13 at the 21. Add 7-28. Add 10-38. That will be the field goal attempt by Mormon if indeed they go for the field goal. They're not going to go for the field goal. Good play calling, Ward. Fourth and 13. A little out of his range, really. Here is Smith back to throw. They flood the zone. The long pass into the end zone is intercepted. Intercepted Tennessee. Russ Kane, Val Barksdale intercepts. Noonan put a lick on the quarterback that time, John. In fact, he's a little bit slow getting up. The interception for the touchback gives Tennessee the ball at the 20. And so it will be Tennessee's ball at that point with six minutes to go in the first half of the game. To our stations, we'll make the breaks up whenever we can. Let's hope for some measurements along the way. Boston College up to the line. They've dominated the game since Tennessee's opening drive that scored. Single running back, they send a slot with a... Runner going out on the right side. Back to throw will be Smith. Get some pressure. Pass downfield. Intercepted Tennessee 20. Could go all the way. 25-30. 35-40. 45-50. Waits for his blocking. Down to the 45-40. 35-30. 25-20. down as he gets the ball inside the 15-yard line. The interception was made by Roland James, who gambled earlier and missed. He gambled here and pays off. The return by Roland James, 68 yards. That's the end of the first half with the score. Tennessee 7, Boston College 3. I just love hearing these names again. Uh, Roland James, and later we'll hear from Reggie Harper and, and Noonan. I love it, too. And I also love hearing how desperate Ward was to get the clock to stop so he could run all of his commercials. <laughs> Always the businessman. Also from back then, 1977's big movie was Star Wars. Not that John Ward cared. The last movie he saw was Sound of Music. But the pride of the Southland marching band did care. A richly deserved ovation for the pride of the Southland with just a tremendous, well, that's a tremendous movie. I don't... Anderson, have you seen that movie? I, the last one I saw was eight years ago, but they tell me that's a tremendous motion picture, Star Wars, and 20th Century Fox's stock is up about 15, 18 points because of it, but that is a tremendous score arranged by Barry McDonald and played by the part of the Southland here this evening. No question about that, John. This band is something else. That's Susan Honeycutt. I don't believe I've ever seen anyone handle the batons like she does. And the name is Huntington, Anderson. Excuse me. <laughs> I had I had no idea Bill Anderson was such a fan of baton twirling. Who knew? Yeah, who knew? Susan Huntington, wherever you are, you had a fan. So Tennessee will be receiving, which means that Boston College will be kicking off. Brilliant, Ward. Ten seconds for station identification. This is the ball network. Ryan to the tailback. Finch gets the hold. 25, Finch 30, Finch 35, Finch 30, Finch 45, Finch 50, Finch 45. Fumbles the ball out of bounds at the 42-yard line. He was caught from behind and unnerved a bit. Juggled the ball, but at the last moment, slapped it volleyball style out of bounds at the 42 there. Crowd comes alive here at Neyland Stadium. Smith back to throw. Smith gets some pressure. Across the middle, pass, drop. Intercepted Tennessee at the 15. Back to the 20 comes Greg Jones, who intercepts the pass. Streeter, across the middle, pass complete. Harper, Harper leaps from the ball at the 25, whirls and falls as he gets down to the, they mark it at the 23-yard line of Boston College. Reggie Harper, 
as Tennessee has found a hole in that secondary, sending that tight end in for a quick flip, first from Ryan, now from Streeter. Boston College nudging the linebackers close. Streeter rolling to the near side. Once a block, pumps the ball downfield. Complete to Harper. Harper at the 14. Harper at the 10. Harper is tackled at the 10-yard line by Jack Kent. Bill Anderson, you were an all-pro tight end in the NFL, and this young freshman looks like a great prospect. I don't think there's any question. He's got all the tools. Huh? He's big and strong. He's a fine blocker in there, and he has great speed for a tight end and blue fingers on it. He can catch the ball. He's going to be a fine football player. Tennessee, second and goal at the 11-yard line. Eye formation. Streeter rolling right. Here comes pressure. Streeter pumps it into the end zone. Got it. Touchdown, Tennessee. I had to wait. Touchdown to Billy Arbel. Streeter drills it in. From Knoxville, Tennessee, this is John Ward with Bill Anderson sending you the play-by-play. Tennessee in the fourth period, leading Boston College 14-3. The Eagles to the line. Quarterback is Smith. Back to throw. Bang! He fumbles the football as he's hit. Tennessee has recovered the ball at the 13-yard line. The penetration and hit was made by Dennis Wolf at the blind side. The recovery is made by Pert Dickens of Tennessee at the 13. High formation. Emmons is the fullback. Finch the tailback. Streeter. Finch. Emmons block. Finch. Give him... Touchdown, Tennessee. Bobby Emmons made a tremendous block at the line of scrimmage, and Finch just peeled off behind that block to nudge the ball into the end zone, completing a five-play, 13-yard drive. Tennessee wins its first game of the year, beating Boston College 24-18. to Yeah, victory number one in the majors era, and Tennessee is 1-1. One and one. The next week... The first SEC contest against Auburn, and it goes down to the wire. One minute to go in the game. The ball rests at the 32-yard line of the Tigers, and it will be for Tennessee first down and 10 to go. Clock is running, 56 seconds. Streeter rolling right, wants to throw. Will pull it down, will run. Gets it all down to the 26-yard line, is nailed at that point. Tennessee's going to line up without a huddle. The clock is running with 45 seconds to go. Gain on the play of close to five yards. It will be second down and five oh, yards. Oh, out of bounds. Streeter looking it over. He's got Arbo to the near or west side. He rolls back to the east side, looking for Reggie Harper. Will pump, will look, will carry the ball to the 25. Fumbles it at that point. It has been recovered, I think, by Auburn. Let's wait and see. Tennessee signals it's our ball. The official is indicating what? We'll wait till they spot the ball at the 19-yard line. It will be Tennessee retaining possession at the 19. 23 seconds to go, and Jimmy Gaylor is coming into the in for the volunteers to attempt the field goal. Gaylor, on first and 10, will be attempting a field goal from the 26-yard line, east hash mark. It will be a 36-yard field goal attempt. Ball set. Kick by Gaylor is up. The kick is going to be short. It is short. And so Auburn has held with three seconds to go. The Tigers have held and will have the ball at the 20-yard line after the field goal by Gaylor. Rushed a bit is short. Auburn leads 14 to 12. There it is. He just falls on it. The clock counts away. And that is the end of the football game. We'll be back in 60 seconds after telling you the final score, Auburn 14, Tennessee 12. This team is tough, but this team is not deep. And it's already beginning to show, isn't it, Barry? You're right, Ben. It's a great archival find, but it kind of hurts you to listen to. This is Majors in the locker room after the Auburn game. Coach Majors, I guess the next question is, next week it's Oregon State. Eight more games to go. A team comes very, very close. You had opportunities. The band at halftime played the music, if, if, a big word for Tennessee, what goes from here? Well, as the old saying goes, if if and buts were candy and nuts, what a Merry Christmas it would be. And if the ball is going through the goalpost the last second of the ball game, what a way to finish our first conference game. But it didn't. It won't be the last time that will happen to us somewhere in the years ahead. But I just hope our team will continue to play with courage and fight back like they did today. If that happens, we'll have a chance to get better Tennessee in the years ahead, hopefully this year. Coach Johnny Majors, thank you. The record gets evened up the following Saturday to two wins and two losses. They were playing Oregon State, and fans could see the potential in this team and in Pat Ryan. 
I don't remember much about Oregon State other than they were the biggest, ugliest football team I've ever mm-hmm. seen in my life. Yeah. But they were typical West Coast sissies. I mean, they, you know, you hit them in the face, they, they didn't want to play. And they'd come across country. It was a good trip for them. And, and we beat the, beat the hell out of them. Here is Ryan. Cross the middle, yeah. pass completed to Aguilar. Aguilar makes the catch to the 40, to the 45, to the 50. Down he comes to the 45-yard line. Ryan dropping straight back to throw. Here's the blitz. The pass across, completed. Taken by an out back at the 40, down to the 35, down to the 30, down to the 25, down to the 20, down to the 15, down to the 14-yard line goes Nate Sumter. Ryan keeping turns. Five, four, three, two, one. Give him six. Touchdown in the option by Pat Ryan. And Tennessee opens up a 37-10 lead. Tennessee apparently was expecting the pass. And Oregon State reacted here by running the ball. Here back to throw is Norman. Here comes the blitz. Boom. He is banged just as he releases the ball. Let's see if it will be ruled a pass or a fumble. He was hit by Jenkins. And he was hit from the blind side. It is ruled that he had started the forward motion with his arm. But the pass went high into the air and falls harmlessly to the turf incomplete. That, Bill, is what you call a bell ringer. <laughs> As the football game is over. Back in 60 seconds. After telling you the final score, Tennessee 41, Oregon State 10. Pat Ryan, the quarterback, was in the dressing room a moment ago, and our Bob Bell is there, so let's swing over there to pick up this interview with Bob Bell. With me now and holding a game ball, a very happy gentleman, is quarterback Pat Ryan. Pat, is this your best game as a ball? Yeah, I'd have to say it probably is. There hadn't been too many games that I've played as a ball, you know. Uh, this would be my best, I'd say, yeah. You have to be a little bit surprised, I think, uh, even the optimistic players uh, about the 41 points up there and the way you move that football today. Yeah, you know, I was kind of surprised, but like uh, I said, J.C. kept them, you know, punting them down deep, and our defense kept them bottled up, and their punter kicked us the ball and put us in such good field position, you know. It's kind of... If you don't score from those places, you know, at least half the time, you're completely worthless. So you might say the team is at a threshold. It's a group that has been through a lot. It's a group that has been unheralded. But it's a group deserving of respect. As they venture across that threshold into a make-or-break stretch, you might look to the final record of 4-7 and and say, well, they didn't make it. But before you say that, you should hear the rest of the story. You should hear about the fight in this team. You should hear about the loyalty of this team. And you should hear why head coach Johnny Majors would say this about an incident from that season. That's the closest I guess I ever came to getting killed. Did Coach Majors just say getting killed? Yeah, that's a pretty good tease, huh? I would say so. I guess we'll be talking about that in the next show. So tune in again for our next episode of A Host of Volunteers. A Host of Volunteers is hosted by Ben Bates. It's written and produced by Barry Rice. Archives are provided by the Vol Network and VFL Films. Sound design and technical support, Paul Jones. Music composed by Aurelation with additional cuts from APM Music, specifically the glorious and timeless arrangements of Sam Spence for NFL Films. Also, check out the episode notes and pictures and archival goodies at our website, ahostofvolunteers.com. And finally, and most importantly, thanks to the Letterman's Club and Chris Wampler and all the players. Without them sharing their time and recalling these memories, there'd be no show. So thanks to all the legends. Until we meet again, thank you and good afternoon.